Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Today, we're going to be looking at uh, the role of pesticides in water quality and how they behave within the landscape. So to speak about this, I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Phil Jordan from University of Ulster. Uh, good morning, Phil. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Great, great. Um, and we're also joined by Pat Murphy, who's head of the Chagas Environment Knowledge Transfer Programme. Pat, good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. So, Phil, before we, we start uh, your presentation, maybe you could just give us a little bit of background to the work uh, that you're doing. And uh, you, you're, you're very familiar with the work we're doing on the Agricultural Catchments Programme as well. Of course, you, you spent some time working on that programme. Uh, but yeah, just if you could give us an overview of uh, your, your sure. Yeah, um, as you said, I was working for a time with Chagask on the Agricultural Catchments Programme, and my, my area of expertise is really on um, the dynamics and fate of nutrients in, in catchments, um, and, and more about trying to keep nutrients on the land um, and less um, being transferred to water. And I guess this, um, this new project, uh, funded by the European Union through the Interreg um, Programme, is is about um, water quality in general, but um, the role of, of colour, sediment, and also pesticides in in in, um, in our drinking water supplies, or, or trying to uh, avoid uh, excessive treatment of our, of our source water. Um, so I'm working with multiple partners, which I can introduce at the beginning of the presentation. Very good, great. Okay, well, look, um, if I could ask you to share your screen with us, so and we'll get on with the presentation and uh, just remind everybody that you can send your questions uh, to us using the Q&A tab at the bottom of your screen and we'd be happy to put those questions to uh, Phil at the end of the, the, his presentation. Okay, I'll, I'll make a start. Um, so the title of this short presentation is, is about MCP, MCPA herbicide, um, the new insights, so this is new data and this is catchment scale research specifically in the northwest, um, so that's County Donegal and, and Tyrone. Um, and I just want to um, say that I'm presenting this morning, but really a lot of the data analysis, uh, data collection for this project uh, is undertaken by others, um, specifically Rachel Cassidy, Phoebe Morton at AFBI, um, Kevin Aitchison, who's a, a PhD researcher at Ulster, and um, chemists down at AFBI as well, Stuart Floyd and Colin McRoberts, and myself and Donica are our institution um, lead partners in this particular project, Source to Tap. Um, and Source to Tap is funded by Interreg, um, and there's a uh, disclaimer at the bottom there um, from the European Commission. But on the next slide, um, just logos from our wider project partners. This is a, a very large scale project, um, cross border project, uh, taking place mostly in the Dirk catchment in the Northwest, but also in the urn catchment as well. Now the high level purpose of Source to Tap is, is thinking about source water or raw water um, and how that is turned into drinking water. Um, there's a, a website there to have a look at uh, and there's also at the bottom uh, a video uh, that you can look at as well. You can get the link from the PDF of these slides. Um, and the high level issues that might be um, might be impacting our source water as, it, as it's turned into drinking water in, in these areas are things like colour from peat, 
sediment from erosion and also pesticides. And the purpose of Source to Tap really is to understand uh, these things, but also to demonstrate mitigation and to provide an education package as well. And today, really what I'm going to concentrate on, as the title suggests, is the pesticide element here, that's the herbicide MCPA, and how uh, we can add to the understanding of that um, uh, pesticide as it moves from land to water. So MCPA is a herbicide, 2-methyl-4-chlorophenoxyacetic acid. That's a very long word at this time of day, and I'm not going to say it again. Um, um, it's a selective herbicide. It's used to control rush on grasslands and other broadleaf weeds. It's used for the um, establishment and maintenance of improved grassland. And it's applied um, by broadcast spraying. Um, it's selective in that it just kills the things that um, uh, the farmers want to be rid of, so it doesn't affect the grass. The problem is, is that um, um, MCP herbicide, once it's been applied and it's doing its job, um, it's also highly mobile. It moves from the soil to water uh, after rainfall. And trends in source water or raw water in both Northern Ireland and Republic of Ireland show that over uh, several years, um, either the mean raw water concentration has increased or the number of raw water failures has increased over time. And you can see here, these data are between 2004 and 2016. And generally there's a trend of either an increasing raw water concentration of MCPA or an increase in the number of failures of, of MCPA in raw water. Now this is important because um, MCPA accounts for the majority of pesticide exceedances in source water supplies. Um, so of all the pesticides that we might find in, in our source waters, MCPA accounts for most of it. And I think the most recent data I saw online was for over 60% of, of all pesticides was MCPA as found in, in our source water. And this is a focus of much research across uh, the island of Ireland. Source to Tap is one project that looks not exclusively at MCPA, uh, but includes MCPA um, in its project remit. But there are lots of other projects as well, mostly European uh, Union funded, and I'm sure I've missed some out here. But uh, uh, two, of these are, uh, are, two of these are funded by Interreg um, and two by Horizon 2020. And the PESMAN project, I think, is the most recent one. Um, with Chagask, NUIG and, and um, University College Cork. So what's the problem? Well, in treating drink, treated drinking water, well, the water that comes out of our taps, the regulated standards are for tiny amounts. We, we don't want any of this stuff in our drinking water really at all. And the maximum thresholds that are regulated for a single pesticide um, is 0.1 micrograms per litre. So it's a very tiny amount. And for the sum of all pesticides, 0.5 micrograms per litre. Now, I just want to put that into perspective because it's difficult to, to get your head around these tiny amounts. A microgram per litre is a, a microgram is a billionth of a gram. And what that means is that if we took a, a container of, of MCPA and just took two drops out of that, two raindrop sized drops, and diluted that down into an Olympic sized swimming pool, um, that would reach the threshold for a single pesticide, that's 0.1 micrograms per litre. So that's about 0.03 grams of MCPA salt 
into 2,500,000 litres of water. So that's why this is an issue. Now, source water, uh, most of our source water uh, across Ireland um, comes from surface waters, that's rivers and lakes, about 60 to 70% uh, across Ireland, and around 40% um, across the EU. So source, surface waters are important source water supplies. And there is a complex uh, process of treatment of raw water into drinking water. And here's the River Derg as an example in the Northwest, um, supplying water to Strabane. Uh, now this is a, a complex process. Uh, it's like a big chemistry set that clarifies the water and uh, finally takes out the, uh, the pesticides through carbon filtering and storage and then onto distribution. And they do a great job at, at maintaining these standards um, and distributing clean water uh, into, our, uh, into our homes. Now, what do we know about MCPA? We know that it doesn't hang around in the soil. Uh, it degrades in sunlight and oxygen rich environments. Um, it's uh, got something called a, a high groundwater ubiquity score and you can Google those terms. Uh, it just means that it, it leaches the groundwater in if the soil and the geology um, enable it to. Um, it's also susceptible to surface runoff uh, once applied and it rains. These are called incidental losses. So if there's an application and a rainfall following the application, then there's an incidental loss. So I guess as a scientist, we, we want to know what we don't know about MCPA. What, what are the things we don't know about MCPA? And we do this through review. Um, we look at um, all the, the parts of the process from land to water uh, that uh, where MCPA can be found, and we, we do a critical review. And this has been done already, and, and I've given a web link there uh, with full access, open access to this review of the pesticide. And I might have to um, uh, also mention Chagask staff here, Chris Fennell and uh, Owen Fenton and Perrett Melander, who helped us with this review as part of the Water Protect project. And there's also a science bulletin, a shortened version of this, um, uh, with a website there uh, to have a look at. Now, the framework for the review is just based on a, a pollution uh, transfer continuum, so source mobilization pathways delivering impact. Um, so that's the, the route that MCPA and other pollutants might take from the land to water and where impact might occur. And the things we found that we didn't know were things like uh, whether we can uh, have alternative uses of MCPA. This is the research that we said was required, um, identifying knowledge gaps. Um, the land use controls how MCPA is mobilized, um, how, how MCPA persists in different water pathways, whether that's a surface pathway where water runs across the, the surface of the ground laterally, or whether it leaches down into deeper groundwater. And delivery, you know, we looked at the, the, the way that data is collected from MCPA in rivers and questioned whether a high resolution data would help with risk assessments. Now the impact, we looked specifically at toxicology and ecotoxicology, and these things called synergistic effects. And there's a lot of research coming out um, from various parts of the world that suggests that pesticides in particular might, um, their toxicity might be increased if they're combined with other pollutants. So their toxicity becomes greater than the sum of their parts. So that's something to keep an eye on in terms of, of research for the future.
Now, I'm going to take you to a map and take you through the map uh, very carefully here on, on the study area that's uh, part of this work. And in the inset map in the bottom right, uh, you can see that in the grey areas, the Derg River catchment, about 384 square kilometres. And that runs into the Struel and into the Foyle system and into the North, North Atlantic. We also study at the same time a catchment just to the north, uh, that's the Finn catchment, um, to get an indication of, of, uh, of well, just to, just to duplicate the, the, the effort in, in data capture. Now the Dirk catchment, to take you to the, the larger map here, um, the river flows from um, west to east, so left to right on the screen there, there's a downstream exit to Castle Dirk, uh, sorry, to the Struel. Um, it rises in the Blue Stack Mountains at this end of the catchment in two major tributaries, one starting in Loch Mon, which itself is a source water supply for Bally Buffet and Stranlar, uh, and the tributary Mon Beg uh, in the north here, round down to this D8 point, and another tributary from um, Loch Derg um, in the south, uh, running in this direction to D7, where there's a confluence of the two major tributaries, and on it goes through Castle Derg and beyond. Now, also on this map are these purple dots, uh, and we've labeled them from LM, D1, all the way down to D10. And these were spatial sampling points where we started to question this idea of land use control. So studying specifically the mobilization part uh, of that continuum where we identified a knowledge gap. So each sample point um, was visited weekly between March and June, one year, so the start, uh, of the spraying season into the spraying season. Um, and we took a water sample from each, each point and the, the analysis is very complicated, uh, liquid chromatography analysis down in AFBI. And that was done on a weekly basis. And then we looked at all the data for each location um, uh, after we um, quality controlled and managed all the data. Now, just to take you back to this map here, I just want to orientate you on this um, map to D8 and D7, and also this area here uh, to the left, the Blue Stack Mountain, uh, higher elevation. Um, so the next, the next photographs show um, typical kind of rough grazing area in the upper reaches of the catchment, and, and it's also uh, forested. Um, and then when we come down to the main picture here, you can see right in the background, the Blue Stack Mountains on the, on the horizon to the west, and then two tributaries, the Mornbeg coming down this direction to the confluence and the Derg coming down this direction to the confluence and the Derg River carrying on. And just to orientate you again, the two sample points there are the two major bridges crossing those tributaries um, and these were visited weekly along with the other sample points. Now this is a, a complex uh, data um, and just to take you through that um, on the x-axis are the sample points that were on the previous maps so LM at Longmorn all the way down to D10 uh, just east of Castle Derg so generally going from upstream to downstream and on the y-axis is MCPA concentration and these numbers go up uh, in an order of magnitude of, um, so they're multiplied by 10 each time just so we can see the data on one chart and the legend on the, on the right-hand side shows the um, occasion that the sampling took place and the colour assigned to each sampling occasion between March and June. And just to take a couple of examples here, the LM data, you can see that the concentrations changed 
um, throughout the season. And the same with D10 on the right-hand side, the concentrations change throughout the season. And just to um, put these two dots on there to, to indicate that there's an average concentration there along the, uh, during the period. That's a median concentration, or, uh, it's another average. Um, and also to point out, and I'll come back to, to those averages and why they're important. Um, and also to point out is there seems to be a demarcation between uh, concentrations above this dashed line, which is the, the threshold for a single pesticide, if you remember, 0 0.1 micrograms per litre. So there seems to be a lot of samples above that dashed line, um, downstream or in between D3 and D4. So the, the, the area between D3 and D4 seems to be where we get a higher preponderance of higher concentrations. Okay, so on this, back to this map with some further data on it. Um, first of all, I'm gonna take you down to the, the legend at the bottom. And the legend shows that um, green for improved grassland and uh, orange for rough grazing with a little bit of extensive grazing in between, just very major land use or land management classes. And the pie charts uh, show the proportion of rough and improved and some uh, extensive grazing in each one. So that's the proportion. And just to give you an example here, you can see that at D10, upstream of the sample point D10, about half improved grassland and half rough grazing. And then upstream of LM at Loch Morn, it's, it's all, more or less all rough grazing, so 100% in that case, and then proportions in between. But if I just add this um, dashed line again, you can see that between sample point D3 and D4 down here, that there seems to be a greater proportion of improved grassland. So it does seem to show a demarcation point. Remember that downstream of D4 in the previous graph, there was, seems to be a higher preponderance of, of high concentrations. And when we looked at those data statistically, or when Phoebe and Rachel looked at those data statistically, we um, could see that um, land use controls showed that the more improved grassland in a subcatchment, the higher the average MCPA concentration. And um, the more rough grazing in a subcatchment, the lower the average MCPA concentration at each of those, uh, across those sample points. So that's uh, quite a finding, and, and that's published now in uh, a paper, uh, Morton and Others, 2020, and you can get access to that um, through that web link. It's in press at the moment, but it's, it's open access, so that can be uh, downloaded and, and distributed. Now, I'm going to change the theme here between land use controls and this idea of, of whether high resolution data can be used for pathways and risk assessment. And uh, just to orientate you again on the River Derg, there's an abstraction point. And at that point, we measured in the river MCPA concentration and river flow, so the flow of the river. When we multiply those two um, um, parameters together, we can get MCPA load when the two measurements, concentration and flow, coincide. Now, to understand the scale of an issue, we measure it. That's a, a really good principle. And we did this measuring during a spraying season. So if I take you to the x-axis on this chart, it starts on the 1st of April 
and ends at the end of October last year. Um, and so that's seven months. And on the y-axis, you can see river flow. And this is in cubic meters per second. That's the unit. And these are very high flow rates. Um, so 200 cubic meters per second is, is over 200 tons per second on these high flows. And on the other y-axis here, we've got MCPA concentration. Um, so the data show that the MCPA concentration is mostly below that bottom dash, dashed line, which is the 0 0.1 standard for a single pesticide. And up here, look, the dashed line is the 0 0.5 uh, threshold for all pesticides. So there are some points above the lines, but there's a lot below the 0 0.1 line. So that looks quite good. But I guess um, what we questioned was knowing that MCPA is very mobile, was this weekly sampling sufficient in capturing the full scale of the issue? So if we understand an issue by measuring it, um, we measure more to understand more. And, and in this um, slide, we can see some extra infrastructure at that point on the River Derg, where we measured or collected water every seven hours during the spraying season, seven days a week. Um, and on the next charts, that's going to be denoted by a red circle, open circle. And we also concentrated, or Kevin Aitchison, the PhD student at Ulster University, uh, concentrated on some storm events to see specifically uh, what could be sampled between these seven hours. And they'll be denoted with a purple uh, dot on the next maps. So refrigerated samples, they were taken away and, um, and analysed down in, in AFPI uh, whenever they need to be. And the river flow data is public data available from the rivers, not the rivers Asia, the Department for Infrastructure now, and that's at their Hydromet Cloud website, which you can access. So there's the weekly data again. And when we add the seven hourly data to, to, that, to that same data set, um, you can see that more sample concentrations are above the lines. And there are higher concentrations as well. So it does seem that the seven hourly samples pick up a lot more than the weekly samples. I mean, we had the one hourly data in there, so Kevin managed to capture 13 storm events during that period. Um, the concentrations go up even higher um, and they're linked back to these, uh, these storm events, which are denoted in the, with, the, with the very sharp blue lines. That's the river flow going up and down. So higher concentrations, and more frequently above the, the dashed lines, the threshold lines. Now, if we multiply the seven hourly data, the red dots by the seven hour um, flow data, uh, then we can turn MCPA concentration, and this is in micrograms per litre of water, that's a concentration, we can turn that into a load. So that will be in a mass uh, per unit time. And that's what we've done on this next chart here, look. So that's MCPA load, that's milligrams per second as measured every seven hours. Now we can do two things with these data. We can add all that up and look uh, at the total load of MCPAs. It's transferred down through the river and that's a real eye opener. Um, but we can also study the patterns of these um, lodographs, let's call them, um, uh, and the shape of the lodograph uh, to determine pathways. And that's what we did. And that's with um, Perik Melander at Chagas working with uh, Kevin Aitchison at Ulster University. So if we add all those um, 
MCPA loads up across the seven month period, um, you can see that it, it comes in fits and starts. There's a big jump there in load and more stable period here and so on. Till the end of that seven month period, we end up with 85 kilograms of MCPA coming down through past that river system, through that river system. Now that's a lot. And in fact, um, that 85 kilograms, kilograms of MCPA is uh, equivalent to seven 25 litre containers of the product, of MCPA product, um, going down the river. Now just remember that two drops, two raindrop sized drops um, in a, um, a swimming, an Olympic sized swimming pool is sufficient to meet the, the first single pesticide threshold. So this is a lot of MCPA coming down through the river system. Now you can also see, going back to this, this jump here, that um, the concentrations sometimes rise very, or the lows sometimes rise very quickly, and that translates back to a, a high concentration, much higher than the threshold concentrations. And then there are other periods where it's very stable. And I guess knowing this um, may help with um, 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 treatment processes. It might uh, serve as early warning, for instance, if we had the, the right equipment to actually measure that in real time. Um, nevertheless, over the whole period, the source water average concentration um, was about 0.4 micrograms per litre. So that's the concentration that the uh, abstraction uh, works and the, the water treatment works has to, has to deal with. So that goes into the plant and has to be treated. And just to remember, remind you again, that treated drinking water has to have these two thresholds. Um, so the treatment process between the source water and the drinking water costs money. It's a, it's a, a burden to the taxpayer. Okay, pathways. When we applied the magic um, to those um, lodographs, we determined that um, overall, and the pathways we determined were more complicated than this or more complex, um, but I've just summarized them in two major pathways here, surface and near surface all built together and base flow. Um, so surface and near surface pathways accounted for um, around about 87% of the load of MCPA with about 13% in the base flow. And what that means is uh, the scale of the issue is that most of it, 87%, is through incidental losses. That's MCPA that's been applied and then lost following a rainfall event prior to it degrading uh, to another product or disappearing altogether in the soil. And the remaining uh, is legacy um, MCPA, the stuff that just hasn't degraded and it's found its way down into groundwater and is slowly um, leached down and leaked away in, into base flows. So that gives us an idea of where the mitigation needs to be uh, prioritized. It's in these surface, near surface areas to avoid that incidental transfer. Okay, so I'm on my last slide now, and um, I guess I want to finish off by just saying that um, on two sides here, agri-food, the, the production of food, or food security, however you want to put it, um, and drinking water are both extremely important to society. If we think of them as being um, competing interests in the same catchment, well, that's generally regarded in natural resource management as a wicked problem. Um, because we want both things. We really want both things. We want 
food production, we want drinking water supply. Um, and there are clearly issues on both sides here. Um, catchment issues, I've summarized these in terms of research so far, is showing that improved grassland is a, 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 is a major leaking source of, of MCPA during the spraying season. And that's related back to incidental losses lost in surface pathways. And on the other side, we've got a, a very high treatment cost. Um, and uh, these are acute high pressure, so they happen very suddenly within a spraying season, uh, uh, coincident with these incidental losses from the land. Now, we can find a way of mitigating these um, uh, issues. And I guess that can be a subject for another talk um, as this project goes on. Um, but the middle way, of course, uh, to combine both elements here, are both concerns and both requirements, is integrated catchment management. And integrated catchment management brings together all interests um, and tries to manage this problem from all perspectives. And it is an example um, of One Health, um, a One Health principle, where we consider our needs and the needs of the environment as well. And I know that a future webinar um, on One Health specifically will be, will be given. Now, the mitigation falls into broad categories of education and training and also land incentive. And I guess in terms of land incentives, it's whether we can actually move some of these treatment costs, defer some of these treatment costs and move them back up into the catchment um, to reduce the, the problem at the source end rather than the treatment end. Um, so that's what Source to Tap is trying to do. There is an education, training and land incentive scheme in place in the dirt catchment. And we hope to report back on that um, in the future. And um, Pat, Mark, that's the, the end of my talk. Great, Phil, thank you very much for that. And thank you for talk, talking us through those graphs uh, in a stepwise fashion, because uh, there, there was some complicated information that you were presenting. Um, now you can just, if you could stop sharing your screen there, Phil, and you could turn on your, your video again for us. Um, I was just looking at the, the graph there that you were showing in relation to the, uh, the, the, the load of graph you, you talked about, the, the cumulative um, detection of MCPA in, in the catchment. I'm just wondering about that spike around June, is it possible that that was linked to, you know, low rainfall and, you know, that you were actually getting a higher concentration because you actually, the river levels were quite low? Um, no, uh, Mark, I just, you, I think you have control of my video at the moment. Um, I can't. Okay. Yep. I'll, I'll switch that back on for you there. Um, actually, um, no, it's, it, for this particular catchment, it's the opposite. Um, it's because we had rainfall and lots of runoff in June, um, and it was uh, subsequent to an, a period of application. Now, in other parts of the country where um, surface runoff is prevalent, we might see that. And in fact, that has been measured in, in, in Wexford catchments um, by the Water Protect Project. So where we have less of a um, surface runoff, um, then we might we might see that concentration increased during those dry periods. Um, that's what the data so, so far is suggesting. But in these in these northwestern catchments where we get a lot of rain and a lot of runoff, this is a very wet area. Then um, we get that incidental sudden runoff, and that's why the loads are so high. 
Oh, in, in general terms, Phil, what does this, the results of this project mean for a, a, from a policy point of view? Um, I see look, you, you have the education measures in, in place and, and uh, we will see the impacts of those, but um, you, you didn't mention the, the regulatory aspect to, to interventions. Yeah, and you know, I think that's a, an even higher level um, um, conversation. Um, about the the use of these pesticides in these sensitive areas anyway and uh, and I think that's a conversation that we we should have but I think it's one for the future I think we need to know more about it. I think the purpose of my um, presentation today was just to add that extra dimension of understanding through what the data is showing so this is data driven um, there isn't an, a single uh, country in the world that's measured MCPA concentration of the resolution we have and this is an investment um, through this interreg funding and the reason for that is that the analysis is expensive um, so we we know more by measuring more and then hopefully we can make more informed decisions based on those data but it is a conversation to be had down the road on that on the on that very high level policy implications what we'd like to do is reduce reduce that um prevalence or that um incidence of mcpa through the actions we're taking in those catchments which is alternative ways of handling, education, training, and, and other incentives in the first instance. We just have a question here, Phil, uh, from one of the viewers uh, asking, are there other pesticides than P MCPA uh, on the radar for the source uh, tap project? Uh, well, you looking at yeah, other? we do. When we look at um, MCPA, we look at all acid herbicides. So there's a suite of, of herbicides that are measured at the same time. But they're there in trace. Um, if MCPA is, is small but above the thresholds, the other ones are well below the thresholds. There's certain occasions where we do get a, a spiking in other acid herbicides, but MCPA by far is the one that's that's leaving the land uh, in great quantity. Mm -hmm. And just a, a clarification more, more than anything else, uh, Phil, in relation to your definition of rough grazing and extensive grazing, had you, how did you determine that? So these are these are broad land use classes, and and, and I, I understand there's there'll be some kind of uh, merging of definitions, but these are from the standard maps that we use to uh, to define land use. Um, and I guess you know there is a bit of a grey area between what is rough and extensive, what is extensive, what is improved. But the the difference between um, rough grazing and improved grazing is is quite clear on the ground and also on the maps that we use. Okay, and, and is that a land use map that's available in the north? This is the Corrine maps. Oh, I see, yes. So these are satellites, satellite imagery. Yeah, okay, very good. Okay, uh, past lots of... Uh, yeah, plenty of questions coming in uh, across the spectrum of the, the, the presentation. Uh, one from Cecil Alexander. Uh, have, have we got it wrong in, in setting the bar too high for the concentration of, of MCPA in, in, in water? Okay, so I guess the question is related to the tiny amounts, you know, the, the standard for a single pesticide is 0 0.1. And I, and I guess these standards are based on extensive research on toxicology and they always err on the side of caution. Um, and I guess, you know, 
all I can say is I wouldn't be the first in the line to, to be a guinea pig in trying to set new standards for these. Um, they're there for a specific reason, and it's to protect human health. And when human health is concerned, then there's always a big um, uh, margin of, of, of caution um, put on those concentrations. Uh, there's a, a question there in, in relation to uh, degradation and how long does it take for degradation to, to occur of, of MCPA and on, I suppose the corollary of that is under what conditions then and, and what's the variability under different conditions? MCPA degrades in oxygen richness and, and, and in sunlight um, to a half-life of about 12 to 14 days. So uh, that's on the label. Um, in reality, when we get into anoxic environments or oxygen poor environments, such as um, deep soil or sediments, bottom of lakes um, and groundwater, then, you know, that slows right down. And I guess that's why we're seeing that persistence in the base flows in the rivers is that uh, that degradation hasn't fully occurred. So, you know, we have to, again, think about degradation rates that are published in terms of laboratory studies that are in ideal, ideal kind of laboratory circumstances or plot scale studies. The reality is when we're into our catchments, different soil types, different geologies, different rainfalls, then that degradation can, can, it can speed up, but it can also really slow down. The question there, uh, asking uh, or commenting maybe that the uh, information about MCPA looks to mirror very much the, the behavior of, of uh, phosphorus loss. Yeah, it does. And, and I guess um, what happens with the difference is that, um, you know, the phosphorus is, is, can be incidental, but there's a large amount of that transfer is legacy. So it's, it's phosphorus that's built up in the soil and then can become available as well to run off. Whereas with MCPA, um, that legacy is reduced because of the degradation of it and because of its roots down into groundwater. So it's mostly incidental. But in terms of mobility, I mean, it's the reason we chose the, the transfer continuum approach to, to do the review is that there is some um, parallels there with, with phosphorus. A, a question from the, the graph you showed at the very beginning in the, the, the time series. What was it about 2015 that caused so much problems? Yeah. That's a good question. I'll have to, we'll have to go back and look at the data. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> uh, there's a question here in relation to the time frame for incidental losses. Is, it, and, and is there a time frame? Or in other words, how long after application before it is considered a, leg, a legacy and coming yeah. from base flow? Yeah, and, and that's a good question as well. And I guess um, it rains a lot. And in, in the Northwest, it, it's, it's a lot higher than, than where we are at the moment. So, you know, we get about 900 millimeters here on the North Coast and you get about 900 millimeters per year on the, on the, in Wexford in the Southeast. Mm -hmm. But over in the Derg, they, their average rainfall is 1,700 millimeters. So the, the amount of rain and the, and the, the frequency of rainfall is, is, is high. And so the, the chances of, of a rainfall not occurring between application and degradation is diminished. Um, so that's, that's the problem is that that's an environment where runoff is fast and rainfall is high and that degradation um, is not occurring. I guess that, that rainfall immediately following application is going to be extremely high, but we've got this window of degradation. You know, how many times can we think of where we have 12 to 14 days without rainfall um, at that time of year? So it's, it's, 
it's, we do get those spring showers and we get heavy rainfalls in the summer. So this work is is obviously going to have a huge bearing on the, the types of measures that farmers undertake to, to reduce the losses of, of MCPA from the catchments. Uh, and are, so, I mean, are, are there any indications yet as to which mitigation measures have the, the most, most impact? Um, or is that, is that too early to say at this stage? It is too early to say. Um, we, have to, we have to get a, a longer data set and we're hoping to collect uh, those data in the future. And our, the farmers in this, in this project are working very hard with our uh, farm advisors. Um, and we know that that really does work, that one-to-one -one, um, ASAP type um, um, advice network does work. And we've got advisors working with Irish Water and with uh, the Rivers Trust uh, on a one-to-one -one basis. And we have a series of mitigation measures um, uh, linked from handling to application and hopefully uh, that can show the, um, some kind of, of change uh, in the future as well, those data come in. Your, your presentation stirred a lot of interest, Phil. We, we've been inundated with questions here, so pass, uh, you can... Uh, yeah, so I suppose what, what a question there, uh, what sort of, of MCPA levels are, are seen in lakes and how long will there, can there remain a problem in those lakes? Yeah, I, I don't have I don't have data on on lakes to hand. I know we do see, and there are there are workers with uh, Irish Water um, have collected those data, and and, and I know that uh, Northern Ireland Water have some of those data as well. Um, now with MCPA, the, the legacies can be re related to the, the MCPA in the sediments. As so, so MCPA reaches sediments before it degrades, it's sprayed away in an anoxic environment. There's a low oxygen level in lake sediments. And the problem with some lakes is that um, in the autumn, the lake water turns over. So it's a quite a physical process. And that act of turning over can redistribute out that sediment back into the water column. So that's often, that, that turnover is, called, is generally called the autumn turnover. It happens uh, at the end of the summer. And there are some instances, uh, well, it's anecdotal for me, but there are real data out there to show that September and October time can be a time when um, MCPA is is uh, found in, in lake water and it possibly linked back to that reason. Clearly there might be some applications as well at that time of year but autumn overturn in lakes can can bring MCPA back up. Uh, and then there's a lot of inevitability about a lot of questions about mitigation actions uh, and are, what are, are you looking at? I know there was a quite a bit of work in the north uh, in relation to mitigation uh, and reducing MCPA usage. Uh, what kind of levels of success have they had? Yeah, so um, Northern Ireland Water have, have, have trialled um, different mitigation measures in smaller source water catchments and, and had some success, in fact, at the, at the scale of about five square kilometres, and hence the reason for rolling this out, maybe 400 square kilometres. And the types of mitigation used, um, well, uh, range from better handling and storage and, and cleanup operations, that's fundamental. I mean, that's within the remit of, of all farmers is, is better handling, cleanup, ensuring that tiny amounts can't get into the nearest ditch or watercourse or, or be available to run off. Um, but also alternative ways of application might be things like um, weed wiping, for instance, rather than um, broad application, not weed wiping with MCPA, but weed wiping with, with other products. Now they're still using a pesticide, but it's in a more selective 
application rather than a selective um, um, targeting, if you like. Um, so different products, different application methods. That's the some of, some of the main met mitigation measures, methods uh, alongside um, better handling and storage. And I suppose a, a question leading on from that, should MCPA only be applied by fully trained professionals and people specialising in it? Well, I know Ch Chagask have training, um, 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 I suppose, operations for, for MCPA use and, 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 and nobody should be using pesticides without proper training uh, anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, I think you said you had an, a couple of catchments that you were looking at. Are they, is there a consistency between the, the findings across the, the, the catchments that you've looked at? And is it, I suppose, linked with other work maybe as well? Okay, so we're, we're looking at the fin catchment at the same time, which is a, more or less the same, slightly bigger catchment just to the north. And that runs through by the buffet and, and joins the foil a bit further down. And we're measuring more or less at the same resolution in that catchment just to see whether that uh, the derg is not uh, um, showing its patterns in isolation and in fact um, the fin is showing exactly the same patterns over the year because they're very close to one another um, the hydrology is more or less the same um, when we look at the hydrology over about 30 years um, and uh, the mcpa patterns and loads the concentration patterns and loads more or less follow the same the same pattern there are some differences um, and again we we've Clearly, we have more than the seven months of data presented here, and we need to sit down and look at those data in their entirety once the, the, the data set's complete. A, a question here, do you have any approximation of how much MCPA in total was used in the catchment? So, so you, you have a, a figure for how much was coming out in the water, but I suppose what proportion uh, of what was used? Yes, I don't have that, and that's a really good question. And th those data are always difficult to find. Um, we'll, we'll try our best to find them, but it's always a difficult one to, to find. Um, so I know I don't have that, that data to hand. Phil, do you plan to uh, get any better insights into the types of applications or the best type of application methods to reduce losses? Uh, for example, the, the weed liquor or wiper or spot spraying? That's good research. Um, and, that, and that's research that needs to be done. Um, so if that's not being done at the moment by the projects um, that I showed in an earlier slide, then clearly that needs to be done. We, we have research on, um, not just on the application, but how that really, because that translates down into um, the soil water mobilization process as well. So there might be, you know, different ways of uh, effectiveness, application uh, methods might have different effectiveness um, results on, on what they might, might also have a different results on soil water partitioning as well. And that's research that needs to be done. Um, question here, uh, would you expect similar patterns of MCPA loss to water in free draining catchments? No, and I think we've, we've seen that. We've, you know, there's work published recently uh, through the Water Protect project um, in Chagask, um, colleagues down in, in Wexford, that shows that the, the, the patterns uh, in free draining catchments in Wexford are much less than what was I've reported here. Um, so wherever you're seeing um, high MCPA in raw water, it's more likely to be in the same kind of catchments where it's a struggle to keep that improved grassland improved um, because soil and the rainfall wants to, wants to take over, you know, so it's, a, it's that kind of environment where the problems mostly occur, that where the surface mm -hmm. 
And in relation at a, a more micro or field level, are, is there any evidence to suggest that MCPA is being discharged in fields at higher concentrations or, you know, like we talk about critical source areas and in, in, in a water flow or dynamics perspective? It's ongoing, it's certainly ongoing. There is room for further research, but some research within source to tap is looking at that at the, the Hillsborough plots um, by AFPI. So there's a series of hill slope plots where um, MCPA has been applied and we're looking at that plot scale in terms of that surface and subsurface runoff. I have no data to show you on that. Um, that's operated by AFPI, but that'll be coming out in the future as well. That's work that's, that's underway. I suppose a fairly blunt question here. Uh, do you have any idea if the current and hopefully improved practices that have been put in place over the last uh, number of years have resulted, are still resulting in losses? And if that is the case, uh, should the, the use of MCPA, uh, should there be consideration of, of discontinuing its, its use? Yeah, watch this space. I guess that's, uh, what, that's uh, one of the high level things we're trying to find out in Source to Tap uh, is at the first stage, engaging with farming community um, and uh, trying to find a way of reducing that loss from land to water through, through better incentivized practices. Uh, okay, I think we're getting through a lot of questions. Uh, just, uh, sorry, Mark, have you anything there? I'm just... Yeah. Um... I suppose it's 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 that general question around the the policy interventions. I mean, Ireland is is uh, we're we're looking at a a renewal of the common agricultural policy, a lot of focus on results-based schemes, um, and I know I know that probably extends a little bit beyond your remit here today. But as a you know, that's the the work that you're going to you're doing is going to have a huge impact and and on policy. I mean, what do you think are the, the kind of the early messages that we can start to, to, to bring from the work you're doing? Well, I guess on a very high level, um, you know, we might we might question why um, acid herbicides are used in in, in quantity in right. environments. That's a very high level thing. Um, and that, you know, that's that's beyond this presentation, but certainly the data and the results from our project um, will will inform that debate. Um, so, as I said in my last slide, you know, food security it shouldn't compete with water supply. Those food and water are the two basic things that we have um, um, in society that we need in society. Um, and I guess the, the the data that have been presented here is just on the understanding of of that one pesticide that's in. That's found in our raw waters. We we have to do something about that. Um, uh, whether we have to build up in in kind of degrees, if you like, um, and, and working from the farm level upwards to try to reduce th those losses. And I, I kind of incentivization is the best is the best way to do that. A couple of questions about the non-agricultural use, both domestic and maybe uh, um, councils, etc., using MCPA. Is that seen as an issue or is it predominantly agriculture well it's clear it's it's clearly an issue because the the there is such small amounts can cause uh the thresholds to be breached um so it's it is and everybody owns this problem who own who, who uses mcpa it's just that the you know the, the number of parks 
I suppose, and places where councils apply will be less than the number of places where uh, improved pasture needs to be maintained. Uh, I suppose a, a question there in relation to the, the scale of the cost that is being incurred in, in terms of, of removal by, by uh, uh, councils and I, I suppose uh, 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 looking at the kind of the equivalence of the potential cost of, of actually uh, taking it out as, a, as a, uh, a tool for farmers, is there a, a balancing act there between the, the two? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not too clear what the question was there, Pat. I suppose asking the, the, the question, uh, the cost associated, if there's a, a very significant cost associated with, with, with removal of it, are we better to look at the not having it there in the first place uh, as, the, as a preferred option? Okay, so yeah, that's, that is a good question. And part of source to tap it to, is to specifically look at the econ economics of that. So is it, I mean, we would suggest that we'd, we'd better to spend the money in the catchment to reduce the, the, the sources than at the treatment plant. And remember, it's not just the treatment plant that's the issue. Drinking water is an issue, but the rest of that 85 kilograms has gone down through the river system. And as I said to you before, we still don't know what the ecotoxicological effects are in terms of issues with other pollutants. So it's in everybody's interest to, to reduce um, that pollutant, if you like, coming down the river system. So if there is an economic, um, uh, bonus to actually um, reducing treatment costs and, and, and putting that money back up into the catchment to incentivize redu reductions and that's that's a good thing that's a good that's good for all the actors that deal with with freshwater resources question here in in terms of uh degradation products from mcpa are there do they pose any risk or is it something that has been looked at yeah they do they do some of the degradation products can have the same toxicological effects as the as a primary um, product. I haven't got those that information in front of me here, but it doesn't just degrade to nothing in the first instance. It degrades to other products before it it finally degrades to nothing. Um, and and again, that's in the ideal environment. Um, we've just concentrated on MCPA here because we it, because it's uh, it's it's found uh, in raw water failures and as an increasing trend. So it's just the MCPA we've concentrated on, not the products. Okay, Mark, have you anything there? Um, yeah, I mean, I think we, we have captured most of the questions here. Um, I there have been a few questions in terms of the, the impact of MCPA, Phil, on human health, but also on animal health. Uh, yeah. A massive amount of information clearly on all pesticides and there's a there's a um the paper that i showed that the review paper that, that i gave the screenshot click on the link and there's a summary a very digestible summary of all the toxicological effects of mcpa in the human and animal and plant and so on environment so it's a it's a it's a good read in that regard if you if you're interested in the toxicology and the ecotoxicology okay um, just going back to the the uh, degradation, and I suppose there's there's a, a a question there in relation to the time period before rain, because it looks as if 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 we get dry conditions, dry soil, we will get a, a degree of, of of degradation. Have you any information on the kind of length of time before a potential rainfall event that uh, gets us over that that uh, predominantly over that risk of of it? Uh, going into a wet environment and, and staying there until it's ready to, to be mobilized. 
Um, short answer is I don't have that information in front right. of me. Um, and it's something that we, we can look at in the data to see whether we can, you know, it's because we're dealing with such a patchwork of activity within the catchment, it's difficult to nail down where and when and how much that is, has been applied at any one time. We just have that general period where MCPA is generally applied in the spring. Uh, so cut and then wait and then apply and then the, the period to, to rainfall. But it's something that, it's a good question. I think it's something we could look at a bit more closely at. But presumably, I think what you're, you're probably saying is that if there is any threat of rainfall on the way, you shouldn't yeah. really be saying don't use it. Or if your soil is, is uh, um, has a very high moisture content in it or a very high water table. That's exactly right, yeah. yeah. Okay, on that note, I think we're going to have to draw the session to a close. Uh, we're just time, time is running out on us. Uh, Phil, thank you very much for excellent presentation a lot of compliments coming through here on the, the the questions and answers and so and what we might do phil is send you a copy of all of the presentation or the questions that have come through here today what i would do as well mark is that people can find my um email address on the ulster university website um and if anybody wants to contact me directly uh, with any questions relating to this presentation um, i'd be happy to to answer if i can very, very kind of you. And uh, that will be on your presentation as well, which will be available for everybody on the Chagisk website. Uh, so just click on uh, Chagisk and go to webinars and you'll find a, a list of all of the, 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 we the webinars. And just to let you know that uh, next week, uh, our webinar is going to be uh, coming from, uh, we're going to have Patrick Barrett from the Department of Agriculture. So this is a change to the advertised schedule. So Patrick uh, Barrett is going to be talking to us about creating and shaping the development of Ireland's bioeconomy. Uh, this is a theme that is becoming very important uh, in how uh, Ireland, uh, Ireland's agri-food sector develops. So uh, do join us next Friday for that. Uh, before we go, I just want to say a big thank you to our production team, Andy Boland, uh, Catherine Keena, uh, Pat Murphy and Yvonne Maher, and also to our partners, the National Rural Network, Food Drink Ireland Skillnet, and Dairy Sustainability Ireland for their continued support of the series. Uh, so from all- Mark, just one yes. thing. Uh, just we said last week that yes. uh, just we would open up our, our uh, uh, question and answer session just at the end of, of today and keep it open for people to maybe come to us with suggestions as to what might be uh, useful to include going forward and suggestions even on, on how we operate. So anything you have to, to say to us, to give us a little bit of advice, to try and improve what we're doing or maybe meet additional needs, we'd, we'd love to hear from you. So we'll, we'll leave the question and answer open for, for the next 10 minutes or so, and we'd love to get some feedback from you. Thanks very much. Thanks, Pat. So from all of us, uh, thank you very much for tuning in. Take care and stay safe. Thank you. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson and thanks for listening.